Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Feast or Famine podcast. Featuring myself, Wolf of Tin Street, and Pride. How are you doing this evening? Happy to be here. I'm off to a wonderful start already. We here are members of the band community, and we are looking forward to taking you guys on a walkthrough of what has happened with Magic Gathering this past week. And I believe we are trying to formalize our run-through. Is that correct, Pride? Uh, what do you think for these these topics we've got going here? Yeah, I mean, I think adding some structure to our podcast and giving our listeners something to expect every time would... Provide, you know, a little bit more, I guess, yeah, structure and just sort of consistency to the cast. We'll be trying a couple things this time and see what sticks, see what doesn't, and, you know, work through it as best we can. I agree. First of all, topics also make it easier for the host, too, but we'll we'll keep that under the rug. But the first topic <laughs> we've got going are uh, specs. And I'm going to go ahead and shoot right into the first spec that I have, which is Takanuma Abandoned Mire, which is the black land out of the channel cycle in Kamigawa, Neon Kamigawa. This is uh, just a land that, of all the channel cycles, Besiju is obviously king. The second currently right now is the white, which is Iganju. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. And the third is Takanuma. And the thing that I really want to stress right now is that Takanuma is really supported by EDH play and I just I don't like that it's the same price as Odawara or Aganju. It should be higher and I think it really will grow from there, but that is 100% personal speculation. What do you think of that one, Pride? I mean, I certainly agree and even when we look back to previous sort of spellland sets like Agadim's Awakening from Zendikar Rising, uh, granted, like this one did see a more competitive play than Takanuma is currently seeing, but even the, even then it wasn't seeing like a copious amount of play, and yet it was, I think, the most expensive, or if not, like the number two. And like you're saying, a big, big part of that is there's a big driving uh, casual demand for this in Cube, EDH, casual decks, things like that, from Black Mages, essentially, you want to play their Cabal Coffers and their Urborgs and things like that, and... Takanuma provides really good grindy value to any archetype under the sun. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that it's performing, you know, above expectations, I guess, even relative to the white and red ones. Yeah, no, it, it's just one I didn't expect to see show up on my radar. And when it did, I was, you know, did some research into it. And I was like, oh, it actually made me go to EDH rec, which uh, I absolutely hate is using a financial resource, but... <laughs> I couldn't find it. I was looking at deck lists like uh, of competitive resources, and I was like, "Oh, it's not used competitively at all." And then uh, the fact that you know, I know the white and the blue, and even actually the red one are all kind of supplementary supported from competitive formats. The fact that the black one is completely independent of that and is still kind of in this the same sphere of conversation it, it just doesn't sit right with me i, I don't think that it's uh, properly evaluated but that's one that i will i'll buy a lot of the uh the borderless foils of and we'll we'll see how we go from there but uh do you have any specs you want to call out sure i mean let's stay with the land theme for now and i'll mention nick though shrine nicks from theros this is a card that it kind of seems to constantly creep up. It's a mainstay in a lot of monocolored commander decks, casual decks, things like that. It sees a bit of competitive play sometimes in formats like Modern or Pioneer. You'll see like some mono green deck uh, pop up that plays four copies sort of thing. Never a competitive stapler by any means, but this is a card that just keep, keeps creeping up and up and up. And we're moving into a lot of commander focused sets. A lot of them are also multicolor focused. Like we know two XM2 is uh, like three, four color. They're not going to print Nykthos in that. So, yeah, sure, it could come up in the list, and that's always a risk, but this is a card that's probably going to keep plugging along, and if you can find them at reasonable prices, it's definitely a card I like buying. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You picked a card that is just ripe to trigger me, because just... <sighs> this card annoyed me for so, so long, man. The buy list was higher than the market price for this card for over a year. And I, I literally bought in and I was waiting for this card to pop, pop, pop. And I was like, oh, they're going to reprint Theros. Like, it's going to blow. And all the attention is going to be on Theros. No, it didn't happen. Didn't get a reprint. 
still didn't blow. Buy list was still over market. Uh, this card is is scarring to me. I haven't like. I want this card to be successful so much, but I, I market just continues to. I don't know what will make it actually wake up to the fact that I I don't know. I I hope a great deal for it, but I've been hoping a long time on that one. Do you think there's anything recently that's gonna like force it over the edge, or or is it the secret layer tension, or am I just one hundred percent undercutting your spec right now? Uh no. It wasn't in a secret layer that I'm aware of. Mana Confluence, I know, was. It was reprinted, I think, in the list, and I think it got some sort of Judge promo reprint. Maybe not Judge promo, That's the one that I'm thinking of. Some pre-release promo or something, but very few actual copies, and I think probably only foil. I just see this as a card that's just a mainstay, and often green in particular likes playing it, which is always popular in EDH. And we've just been seeing the value climb up slowly but surely, never actually exploding, but still just steady increases, which is generally what we like to see with possible spec targets. Yeah, for sure. I, it's just one that, uh, for me, you know, I tried. Not the most successful all the time is what it is, but moving on from there, I see you have a uh, a, a list of cards here, perhaps like a, a general theme that you want to discuss in terms of, uh, of just overall general specs. Do you want to dive into that? Sure. I mean, one of the things we'll be seeing next week is the Commander Precons for Baldur's Gate Commander Legends uh, spoiled, I guess, like the contents of the Precons themselves. And we know one of the decks is going to be Blue-Red Dragons, likely Goads Matters to some extent. We don't know the contents, and so speculating on cards in the deck right now would be foolish because there's a very reasonable chance that you'd walk headfirst into a reprint, at which point you'd just be completely screwed. However, it is, I think, important to know like possible dragon specs that would do well in the event that they're not including the deck list. So it's kind of like, you know what to look for. So on the day of when they come out and they post the contents of the deck, you could run out and buy the things that were kind of quote-unquote excluded and that will, you know, you'll just be able to flip the because you can buy all the specs. That's kind of the beautiful thing about these kind of specs is it's not just one spec. You can find all the underpriced copies of a couple different cards and, you know, approach it that way, I guess. And so it makes it more worth your while in, this, in that sense because you'll be getting value off of numerous specs as opposed to just one or two. And I just think it'll be the most popular deck by far. So that's why I'm specifically like I that I care about that one way more so than the other three decks, which I don't expect to perform nearly as well. Hmm. No, it, it it totally makes sense. I mean, I I could go back years talking about how I I realized the first set that I realized you know as a theme was dragons and dragons made me a ton of money. And the first person that I met in the sphere who you know, had a similar mindset as me. It was like slivers, and I was like, "Oh yeah!" And I've since learned slivers have a completely, you know, unified front in terms of what they buy. But today, I think it looks like you've got uh, dragon theme. Yeah, and maybe I'll just briefly cover some of the specs that you would want to consider. So, from the AFR Commander deck, there's a couple cards like Dragon's Horde, Scourge of Alcus, Vengeful Ancestor. Again, these are all cards now that are about the dollar fifty-two dollar range but will be very popular in the event that they're excluded from, say, the next round of Commander decks. So again, don't run out and buy these cards today, but if they're not in the next deck, good good things to snag. Um, Vengeful Ancestor in particular, it is a Goad Matters card, and the face of the face commander of the set is a Goad Matters card as well, and it cares about dragons, so you kind of double dip in that sense, like it's a it works for the theme and it works for the creature type. And then there are a couple other cards like Dragon Tempest, Udvara Hellkite, just... The mainstays of red dragon decks, right? If it says dragon on it, like Lathless, the queen, there are a bunch of cards that just care about dragons and really any of these will work. You just need to, again, the, the idea here is you're not buying these cards now. You're just, when the day of comes and that precon is spoiled, you're snagging whatever isn't in the deck. Yeah. The most sold copies I think I've ever had of a single card is probably Udvar Hellkite. I love that card. Going into more recent information, we're going to look at the the week in review. What are your overall thoughts of this this prior week that we're moving into? Um, again, what we're seeing is a lot of Streets of New Capenna just selling us, like especially the Triomes, the Ledger Shredder, the Unlicensed Hearse, like these cards. That those like those cards in particular pulled ahead of the pack of everything else. Um, and so we're continuing to see just like unstoppable sales from all of them 
but of course there are always like other cards just waiting in the wings like just below them um that are doing well i guess as a response of like also being competitive cards in the set and it's not always just the new set driving all the sales so i think your tools have highlighted some cards that are doing well that like completely irrespective and regardless of what's happening with streets new capenna just because of their value and say other other formats oh i yeah the triumphs the triumphs especially i I'm so tempted just to call them baby fetches, but I know people will be very livid with me if I were to do that, but their, their sales profile is so strong, and I really do think that I just, I love the triumphs. I just, after their performance out of Ikoria, and people talking about how strong they are out of Capenna, I just I don't, I don't know, I see them doing very, very well into the future, but that's me. No, for sure, absolutely. I see you've got uh, a specific call out here from the spoiler list, though. The uh, and correct me if my pronunciation is incorrect, but the, the archivist of Ogma you've got here. Yeah, so that's. I mean, I guess we can go ahead and talk about that now. So I, I was going to mention at some point talking about um, the kind of Commanders uh, Legends Baldur's Gate and how it's looking like a very disappointing set thus far. I mean, I was hoping at some point we'd see those like breakout like cards for the 99 or those amazing new commanders. And while I have seen one commander that's really caught my eye at this point, there's only really one card. I think that's going to obtain that sort of quote unquote staple status in the 99 for EDH decks. And that's Archivist of Ogma. This is a two mana two, two with flash. And it says whenever an opponent uh, searches their library, you draw a card and gain a life. And I think this will be kind of like smothering tithe levels of ubiquitous in EDH moving forward, not just EDH, but also CEDH. Because when you think about the most played cards in Commander, it's things like Fetchlands, Rampant Growth, Cultivate, Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, Enlightened Tutor, right? Like I could just sit here and list uh, the cards everyone knows and loves. But one thing they all have in common is they all search through your library. And so what that means is this is a card that's frequently coming down on turns one or two and then drawing one to three cards per circuit with extreme consistency while also not disrupting your opponents, right? Because it's not like it's an op opposition agent that's preventing your opponents from searching. They still get to search, so they're still going to do it. No one's actually going to stop um, doing their thing just because you're also drawing cards and gaining... The life is relatively insignificant, but hey, it's free life, so we're not going to say no to it. And I, I just see this card being like a Ristic Study, where in the same way that every blue deck starts with Ristic Study, every white deck will start with Archivist of Ogma. And so I'm I'm very high on this card, and it's one of the few cards that I've actually pre-ordered, like I was snagging on CK, SCG, TCG, wherever I can find these cards, I've been grabbing them at $15 and below, just because I just think this card will be incredibly valuable and incredibly ubiquitous in the format, as basically the only card that matters, because so far I'm not really seeing anything else in Commander Legends Baldur's Gate that's going to make it in the 99 with any consistency. Now, everything you just said is absolutely correct, and I agree with it, and I still think it's going to fall below $5, solely for the fact that it's white. And I actually made a bet with Tide before this cast, where I said exactly that, and he actually refused to accept my money. So, is very confident in this call-out. I, I, I just, I've seen for the last at least half decade if not full decade it doesn't matter how good a card is if it's in white just it never gets the market attention that it deserves and uh you know if this is the one that proves me wrong i'll be happy to to wear that wear that you know on on my back but I, i'm just not i just don't see the market accepting it and that it's a great card don't get me wrong but i feel like it's going to be one that just really separates EDH and casuals and it's going to be one that uh, like people have to be playing white in EDH uh, and if you're already doing that there's so many other options I don't know I just I see the strength of this card and I'm really hoping to actually personally invest in it I just don't think that the entry is now but that that's me I you know what do you think well, one thing I'll right, say... Because if I'm going to attack you, i got to give you the chance to come back at me. What are, you, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, no. I, like, I want to be clear. Like To me, this is the best mono-white card draw engine ever printed. Like Again, I think this is on that Ristic <laughs> Smothering type. Smothering Tithe? Yeah, I think it's Ristic Study. I think it's Smothering Tithe. I think it's Doxi Extortionist. I don't think it's as powerful as these cards in an absolute sense. But what I do think is 
Like the best thing you can say about a card in ADH is it makes the cut. That's the only thing that matters, whether it makes the cut or not. It doesn't have to be the best card in the deck. It can be the 99th best card in the deck, but if it makes the cut, it makes the cut. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And this is a card that will always make the cut. It will never be in the maybe pile. It will never be in the cut pile. It will always be in the deck. And because of that, I, I'm incredibly bullish on its long-term value. And I'll say right now that I've been buying like every single extended art foil copy that I can get at $50 and below. I've been cleaning out SCG every time they had new copies. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because one way or another, it's on record about we'll know soon enough whether <laughs> it, this card is as good as I think it is or not. And whether buying the extended art foils at 40 is or 40 and 50 is a good idea or not. Like, again, I'm not, a, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. But based on how I think the nice. average play pattern of this card functions in EDH, I'm seeing like Hull Breacher kind of smothering type Dockside Extortionist. Just you'll never not play this card. You'll always want it just because it's that go-to card draw engine in white that the color just literally doesn't have. There is no alternative. And this is finally like a super competitive one. So I'm very excited about it. Sure. And and to be honest, I can see that all happening. Uh, it's just, it's you know, it's the inception of the set and, you know, trying to predict the specific set. I know that's actually your specialty, but uh, it's it's so very hard to do for the rest of us. Um, that said, I see you've got another one marked down here uh, as, a, as a cool commander card. Which one is that? Yeah, so there there is one commander that I guess kind of caught my eye and it's Ragadraga Gorgut's boss, and which is just... First of all, an absolutely awesome name, <laughs> it has to be said. Like, who doesn't <laughs> want to play Ragadraga Gorgut's boss as a commander? Like, come on. But this to me really stood out as the, like, so far, the, like, in, in today's the 23rd of May. It's it's by far and away the coolest commander they've revealed. And what it does is it's a 4-mana four 4-4, four, four, and it's a lord for mana dorks. So all your creatures that tap for mana get plus 2, plus 2. When they attack, they untap. And when you cast it, when you spend seven or mana on a spell, you give a creature plus seven plus seven till end of turn. And to me, like my mind just races, but all the amazing broken things you can do with this card. Like, first of all, it just turns, you can just play a deck full of mana dorks and they're already win conditions, right? Because they're just three threes. So that already is a substantial boost of power considering you're paying one mana for these threats. But secondly, because your creatures untap mid combat, enables you to do like just turn so many cards into or not so many cards but a lot of like extra combat phase cards either become literal or figurative one card win conditions like aggravated assault that's the four mana enchantment where you can pay five to take an extra combat well that's just you just win the game like straight up that the game's just over but even a card like seize the day which kind of gives you two attack phases for seven mana paid over you know twice because of this kicker again that's just going to kill one or two players like it's not a literal instant win kind of as all it's like taking extra two it's like taking two extra turns at no cost so it's just like just completely bonkers and then there's even like this card just has so much upside like it turns cards like um ink moth nexus into one card win condition because creature lands are also mana dorks right because they're creatures and they tap for mana so they're affected by this so you attack with your ink moth nexus it's a three three and then you cast your seven mana spell give it plus seven plus seven that's ten poison that's a kill and again, like this is not a hard thing to set up. This is what this deck is going to be doing every turn of every game. And so like they're, they're, it just all these cards you don't realize, but they quickly become one or two card kill conditions just by playing a bunch of mana dorks in your deck. And so I really like the extra combat phase cards in this deck. And I really like, say, there are a lot of creatures that tap for mana equal to their power, like Marwin the Nurturer, Viridian Joiner, or Heron Blade Elite. Like these are all cards that just, you know, again, they're going to be coming down to three threes and tapping for three mana inherently. But because Ragadraga has that plus seven, plus seven bonus, again, when you're casting, say, a big expensive spell like Fury of the Horde, which is just seven mana, take an extra combat. Well, you're now giving your Marwyn plus seven, plus seven. So now she's tapping for 10 mana. Like it's just, it's so absurd what you can do with this card. And it's already wow. moving things like we've seen like uh, Sentinel Hierophants which is a creature that turns all your creatures into mana dorks. They can tap for green mana. This card exploded from like two to $25. And I personally think this is a bit silly, like Cryptolith Rites and a Sentinel Hierophants. Like I understand the idea here where it's like, you can turn anything into a mana dork, but you don't need to do that. You, you can just play mana dorks. You don't actually have to power anything up. So I, these were not the specs I would have picked, but obviously Ragged Raga is, is like, you know, exploding these cards because that's the only reason why they're moving because other people are excited to build around this card. So I know I'm not the only one. 
I mean, this goes back to, I think, a topic we, at least I remember bringing up last week of, you know, are there going to be commanders that can bring up an entire theme, right? And this feels like a theme that's being brought up, yeah? Oh, for sure. Like, and because it, it, again, it's just another, let's say, like, this will be one that I, I know this will sound hypocritical, but there's a card, Ishaya, Soul of the Wild. She lets all your creatures basically, she turns all your non token creatures into forest so they can tap for green mana. And this was a card that was actually already doing really well. Like it was, it was just churning well, selling well. The Bylos was going up. The demand was there. And this is another card that works with Ragadraga. And so I know I just said like playing enablers is dumb. You don't need them. However, I know people will play them. And because they were already buying a Shia, it's like that will suddenly be a, like, that's a good spec target, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's like there are a lot of mm -hmm. cards that were already doing well that will now do even better because they just so happen to work with Ragged Raga or, you know, there's that perception that they do, which is all that really matters. Mm -hmm. You think it'll help? Uh, you, uh, you know, as a, as a final closing question here, do you think it'll help the sales of, of Baldur's Gate and, and just... Having this this card, do you think it'll help really drive the the sales of the set, or do you think it's just not good enough? Yeah, unfortunately not. Like I was kind of uh, leading or um, implying earlier, like Commander Legends Baldur's Gate is just it's a very weak set. Unfortunately, at this point, we we haven't seen the entire set. There's still kind of four relevant mythics left to go. I say four relevant. There's technically eight, but we know there's a set of ancient dragons. Ancient brass dragon is currently the only one revealed. But uh, Blake Rasmussen in kind of one of the magic streams said there's a there's one for every color. They're all seven mana. They all do something when they attack. So basically they're all unplayable garbage. <laughs> you know, just to, <laughs> I mean, put it meanly. But they're not going to be worth much. They'll be five or six bucks like any other mythic dragon, but not something that's going to drive sales. So that means we have four mythics and about like 16 to 18 rares. They keep spoiling new cards every hour. So I'm not sure how many rares we have left exactly. It's under 20. It's more than 15, somewhere in there. And yeah, one or two of them could be, we could have a smothering tithe, like they could throw one or two more bones at us, but we're looking at like a set with three cards at that point, because Raga Draga, he's awesome, but he's not going to drive sales. He's still going to be bulk. He'll be 50 cents because the number of people who go out and build that commander versus the number of copies printed is just like, you know, the, the supply is so much higher than demand. It's not even funny especially once you consider like it's got a foil etch printing and a D&D, uh, &D, you know, sketchbook printing, like the, the supply is just infinite relative to demand. So the card will be worthless. So essentially we're looking at a, a set with one re relevant card, in my opinion, like, again, I know other people will like other cards and you can be excited about what, what you want. You can buy whatever you want. You can build and play whatever you want. Have fun. Don't worry about me. I'm not trying to gatekeep anyone. But from a financial perspective, these cards just aren't going to be worth very much. And, you know, one exciting commander isn't going to change that. And so if anyone out there is, say, contemplating, say, canceling their Baldur's Gate, you know, uh, collector boosters boxes from Amazon or something like I personally would at this point, I think the set is just almost certainly going to be a total bust, say, for, again, that one card, Archivist of Ogma. Otherwise, it's just looking like very, very, very weak. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm... <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm not very excited for, for Baldur's Skate, so I don't know. Maybe it's uh, my own opinion, but maybe it's the way it's presented, but you know, it, it seems to fit in with what I was expecting. Is that all you want to mention? Should I move into my, my scheduled rant for the week with, with Reckless Abandon? Uh, I guess the only thing I'll briefly mention before we move on is, and this will tie into something we're going to talk about later, but there are a couple of red cards that are doing really well in Commander that people should probably be picking up or at least eyeing if they're not already grabbing. One of them is Goldspan Dragon, and this is a card that was obviously reprinted in a Challenger deck, tanked to like 15 bucks. It's already back up to 20 or 22 and just keeps climbing. This card is amazing in Standard, it's amazing in EDH, amazing in Casual, just it's going to be a mainstay in EDH moving forward. One of Red's best additions to the format, in my opinion. You can just play it in anything, and the amount of ramp it provides is just absurd. And so I, I just really love this card moving forward. Just because all the, we're, we're just going to see more and more treasures matter, and this card with treasures is just like so utterly insane. Just making them all tap for two mana is just bonkers. And then I guess on the same note of like just amazing Red uh, EDH spells... Jessica's Will is another card that, again, like Commander's Legends 1, you know, speaking of uh, the, the good Commander's Legends set, obviously everyone knows this card, loves this card. It's absolutely amazing. But what most people don't realize is it's been steadily falling. Like it's it fell to about 15 bucks down from 25. 
And it's starting to climb back up. And we know this is a card with competitive chops. Like this card will always be again in every single red deck for EDH for now until the end of time. So there's no concern about demand. And yeah, there were, you know, circumstances that kind of made the price dip in the short term, but that's what you want to do. You want to buy the dip and then sell when it peaks. So this is we're, because we're starting to already see a climb back up. If you wanted to say, jump in on Jessica's will, now is a good a time as any to grab whatever copies you can find and look to sell them in a couple months. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with any of that logic, actually. Uh, I'll say with Ultspan Dragon at 7 a.m. this morning when I was uh, chatting with Father Ken for other casts, that was one that I, I forced into the show notes for all the same reasons you mentioned. Uh, I think you actually demonstrated the reasons better than I did there, so... That's great. <laughs> it's great to hear it uh, from an independent voice because I know we actually haven't talked about that one. May may I move into my my scheduled? Uh, we have it uh, shown as the data review on the show notes, but I think realistically, it's just it's just me ranting. Are are we ready for that? Absolutely. I always look forward to your rants. <laughs> you are a liar, and I appreciate you for lying. No, I do. Um, <laughs> uh, I. So the topic that I want to bring up is something that, uh, I'll be honest with you, surround yourself with people who constantly challenge you because they make you think of things you will not think of. And this was something that somebody made me think of tonight. So it's not as fully fleshed out as I would personally like it to be, but I still think it has uh, at least some value to demonstrate uh, on, on a cast or at least to express. And that is... Because this is something that everybody constantly, are you going to invest it? What if they reprint it? What if they reprint it? What if they reprint it? You know, this is like the number one reason to be afraid of a speculation or uh, uh, of just a card of buying into it. What if they reprint it? And what was fascinating for me is I've done a very, very surface level analysis. There's There's much more digging into this data especially particular cards with greater reprint occurrence, but just from a very surface level, looking at just cards that have been reprinted from the start. So basically, if there's more than two copies that have been printed, I wanted to look at how frequently, on average, do they get reprinted and how many reprints occur each year. And now I know usually I provide a graph, unfortunately, uh, I was really trying to get our most up-to-date data uh, as, as I possibly could tonight. And because of that, I actually delayed our recording of this cast by just about, what, two and a half hours pride uh, to, to make sure we had the most up-to-date data as of May 23rd. So um, unfortunately, I didn't get as much time as I wanted to dig into it. But what I did see is that basically up until... 20 what is it uh 2019 you had on average four years 1300 days from the time that a card was initially printed until it was reprinted again and now there are varying numbers of cards that were reprinted honestly with the spike being i say honestly like i'm hiding something i don't know why i say honestly the spike being in 2019, where there was 1,622 reprints that year. That was the all-time high. The second highest was 2018 with 1,511. Now, I'm pointing out 2019 and 2018 here because if you ever say WotC doesn't listen to consumers, in 2020, they cut down reprints to 949. That's 949 from 1,622. That's basically half. Whatever Watsi did in 2020 was that they decided what cards were going to reprint at the on average at a four year mark of reprint. We're going to reprint basically half of what we've been reprinting since. Let me go down. Basically 2013. I'm being generous with that. It was really probably 2015, but if you want to be cynical, 2013. And they've really been reprinting fewer and fewer cards, but the cards that they have been reprinting, they've been reprinting more frequently, which is something to just just keep in mind and take note of. But 
it's not like they're mortgaging their reprint equity. They're really not. They have so many cards. There's, I think, I'm spitballing here because there's so many. I think there's 122,000 plus unique card IDs when you include non-foil and foil versions in Magic the Gathering's universe. That's just as of now. Obviously, as the game grows, it's only going to get bigger. So the fact that they're only reprinting, what, 1200 you know you can double that if you you want to worry about the foils so what like you know 2400 cards each year versus you know how many do they print that are new each year this is something that i need to add to this analysis but people are always so worried about these reprints and it's so infrequent and so rare it's just it feels like such a silly thing to worry about and especially when you factor in the fact that on average, it's going to be four years, and even when they've sped it up in 2021, it's still 900 days, 894. So you still have three years to worry about a reprint. Uh, I'm just tired of hearing this fear about reprints ruining a spec. But uh, what are your thoughts, Pride? I've been ranting for a while. No, you're absolutely right. And it's kind of... People will then cling on to, say... Unique exceptions, like a good one off the top of my head, is just from Commander Legends. Uh, Rings of Bright Earth, which was like a $40 rare from Lorwyn, got reprinted in a real set, quote-unquote. Now it's $5. And see, it's like, well, if you invested in those, it's like you got totally destroyed. You lost, you know, uh, eight times, whatever. You fell, like, from, yeah, whatever. You fell immensely. Um, and it's like, okay, but that's the massive exception and not at all the norm. And like you said, when you look at it, they are reprinting cards more frequently, but it's also just like the competitive staples that essentially need mm -hmm. to constantly re, uh, be reprinted. Otherwise, they just reach absurd numbers. So it's stuff like Mana Crypt. It's stuff like Fetchlands. It's stuff like Planeswalkers, like a Tarmogoyf, right? These are all cards that now have five, six, seven printings, you know, each. But it, we also see it doesn't really matter. Like Mana Crypt never stopped being a, you know, $200 card after the seventh printing. Avenger of Zendikar has more printings than I have hands and toes. Yet it's still selling for the same price as when I first bought it. And that's because it's like these are cards with so much demand that re they shrug off reprints regardless. So even this quote-unquote threat of reprint, like, yeah, it'll stagnate prices. But more often than not, it doesn't actually crash prices. Like, obviously, in the short term, Mana Crypt will fall from 200 to 150 or whatever happens. But long term, it just creeps right back up. So it's not like you're even getting destroyed, even if you did invest in these cards. You're still going to at least break even. And that's just kind of, again, on average, every three years at this point, some of your cards you'll break even on. Whereas if you're diversifying your investments into a couple things, like you'll do well on most of them because, again, you'll be in and out long before that reprint ever occurs. So it's just silly, all the fear and sort of like f um, FUD, <laughs> to use a term from uh, other oh, God. Um, oh, investing no. spheres surrounding the, the notion of reprints <laughs> when it's just completely unwarranted. Oh, we got a crypto warrior in here. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt for those of you who are new to the arena. But uh, it's, it's, it's true to a point. You know, I think... Also, Wasi just quick, maybe I'll just add that mm -hmm. it's also like, why are you even in the game at that point? Like, if you just want to come yes. and, like, not participate, like, sure, just say, oh, it could get reprinted. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Everything that's not reserveless can get reprinted. Like, I understand. But it's like, why are you here? Like, if, if there's the door. Like, don't let it hit you on the way out. Everyone here is in. Most of the people in here are making money. We're you're plenty capable of doing it, and it's like so. It's kind of just like to me. It's it's like it's, it's nothing, right? You're saying nothing because it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't prove anything. It's not insightful. It doesn't you know move the conversation forward. There's no real way to like. There's no point in addressing it. It's just frustrating more so than anything else because. It's whatever it defaults to, despite the fact that it's just like almost completely irrelevant. And and to further that point, uh, I remember back in 2018 when I first actually started taking MTG seriously, I uh, entered in a binder into uh, Echo MTG, which is a phenomenal resource. If you haven't heard about it, you definitely should Google it. Uh, but at the time, the cards were worth 3100 They are currently worth 6300 uh, in terms of the market value, if I had kept those cards, because I promise you I didn't. Just to show you that, yeah, reprints happen, 
but like I, I just had those cards and that was all that I entered into Echo MTG and they send me uh, basically weekly to monthly updates whether I ask them to or not at this point. It's just it's a, a constant curiosity to me that people worry so much about reprints and it's like I wasn't even trying. In fact, I wasn't even thinking about it at that time and if I just kept it by this point, I would have doubled my investment over basically what, like three years and that's that that's just astounding but anywho moving on to more uh specific targets if you're okay with that pride do you have any further comments before i go on no go for it awesome awesome possum so i i hate calling out basically specs without having some nuanced option on it because i feel like it's boring at this point there's so many other people who just call out specs and they're like yeah you know so i like to bring data into it and make it as complicated as possible for every individual so that way the next time you look at a spreadsheet you go huh uh, so that's basically my main goal and the first spec that i want to call out is blight step pathway out of cal time number 252 which I believe is the very, very base version of this card. Now, it has sold 1,350 copies over the past month. And yet, at the same time as it's averaging selling 45 copies a day, it has still fallen in value from $5.15 to $4.27. Now, you can look at this and say that this is a bad spec. I think this is an absolutely amazing uh, spec target even though it's gone down in value basically a full dollar which is what like 20 25 percent of its value over the past month the fact that it's selling 1350 copies from cal time which is what a set that's a year and a half years old now like 18 months old the, the fact that this particular card which is black red and pride i'm sure you're going to provide some context as to why that's uh, in flavor right now, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of very powerful, especially like three drops printed for the kind of black, red, aggressive mid-range archetypes printed recently. Like we had already had cards like Bone Crusher Giant, which have obviously been mainstays in multiple formats since their inception. But very recently, we got two cards in Fable the Mirror Breaker and Obnixilis. Uh, oh, I actually, I actually forget the name now, what, what his title is. But... The, essentially the new three mana Nixilis from Streets of New Capenna. And these are very powerful three drops that are making waves in multiple formats, not just standard, but also Pioneer and even Modern. We're seeing these cards played and oftentimes in black red or black uh red aggro decks or mid-range decks. And so it's not surprising to me to hear that kind of a black red pathway is seeing like just you know absolute insane demand. Because this was a card again that people don't own, right? The blue-white deck, everyone already has it. Everyone already had the pathways because it's been so popular for so long. The black-red decks, they're kind of just coming to prominence. And so people actually need to acquire these pathways. They don't already have them. And that's why, I guess, it makes sense why it's selling so many more copies than other comparable pathways in the same amount of time. Yeah. And honestly, I think the... I personally think the moral to take away from this is the entire cycle in Kaldheim probably deserves better attention than it's getting. The fact that the, you know, the black-red is, you know, getting love for whatever reason at this point in time, and it's, you know, it's selling this many copies, the fact that the value is still going down does tell me that there's a lot of supply out there, and it's it's going to be a while, but the cycle itself out of the set I think is going to be one of the first things that rises up, so... If you're looking for a mid to long term target, uh, long term target, sorry, words are hard. Uh, I think that's one definitely just to keep an eye on. And I think, you know, lands are probably some of the most reliable. Uh, I'll pull the full the full meme, uh, free real estate in the hobby. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, there's one other that I'm going to call out, and this is just to put on your radar, uh, is Brazen Borrower, the regular version, Throne of Eldraine. Uh, I think this one is, this is such a, I feel like to me, I've said this so many times on Cass, uh, I'll say it again, uh, this is such a classic price increase that nobody will ever notice, because it's shipping cost being included with the cost of the card, which TCG doesn't do for you. And in theory, this card was selling for eleven eighty five at the beginning of the last 30 days, and now it's selling at $15.93. 
And that, to me, I'm not checking. That, to me, just screams shipping costs. Basically, people are charging $0.99, cents, $1.99, $2.99 for shipping on what shows as $10 or $11 card on TCG Player. And because this happens, this is how price increases sneak up on the way the market currently looks at targets. MTG Stocks does not calculate in shipping prices. They just take what and. Uh, excuse me, what TCG player sends them. I know because they send me the same thing and that's just their market price. Uh, but if you actually calculate in the shipping price, you'll begin to see price increases much sooner. And this is just one that uh, I'm calling out as just keep an eye on it. I don't know if it's really moving strongly, but it's definitely one whose price increase is indicating that uh, basically regular consumers are buying it. There's not a lot of anomalous purchases. Uh, it's selling, you know, 5,000 a week, which isn't crazy, but, you know, it's, it's there and it's something to be noticed. And I like this card personally long-term because when you look at modern, right now what we're seeing is there's a, a, a sort of a large swath of different sort of um, cascade decks. There's cards like Living End, there's cards like Crashing Footfalls, like it's not just one strategy there are quite a number of them and what all these decks have in common is that they typically can't play spells that cost less than three mana because it interferes with their cascade effects and so what we're seeing is in almost all these decks there's four brazen borrowers without fail because it's a card obviously the front half you can play as a bounce spell for two mana and that's your interaction and that kind of buys you time to hit the turn three when you're actually say cheating out your four four rhinos where you're casting your living end and recurring things from your graveyard, things like that. And of course, the card itself is also like an aggressive beater, like a 3-1 flyer is no joke. There are plenty of people who lose to cards like that, especially in formats with like Teferi and Renin 6 and whatnot, like just being able to, obviously Renin 6 kills this, but when you flash at the end of turn, attack, kill it, like Renin 6 is incredibly popular in modern. And so this is a card that's really almost, uh, it, it has that sort of hidden benefit, like in the sense that, uh, the fact that it costs three while also being a two-man interaction spell just feels just like very particular niche for these cascade decks that can't easily be replicated because they don't want to be paying three mana balance spells, but they also don't want to be waiting until turn you know three or four to interact. So it's never really going to go away. So unless these cascade spells are banned in some capacity or something dramatic changes where they're no longer competitive, which doesn't look like it's going to happen the demand for borrower is not going to fall off. It's going to stay steady in this format. And because it fills that niche role so perfectly, uh, again, it's you, you got to like this card long term. Awesome. 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 We'll uh, just point out, I'm going to quickly move over them and we'll we'll move on to the, the final segment here. The other two that I had marked was Karn the Great Creator, simply because it's losing a substantial amount of value. I'm not sure how real that is. Like, card is played a lot. And the very last one is Cavalier of Thorns, because as a guy who does not watch play data, I was shocked to see this card that has tripled in value over the past month. And if anybody else hasn't noticed that, welcome to the club. Uh, I'm accepting membership. <laughs> I just, I did not realize that this card had had spiked, so... I just wanted to mention those two, and uh, I'm obviously going to give Pride a chance to respond to that, but uh, I'll also uh, give you the chance to slide into your next segment of just, you know, general news for the week. What, do you, what are your thoughts going forward? Uh, just one thing that's very interesting about that, that specific pairing is they're played together in a new Pioneer deck, so it's basically mono green Karn ramp, essentially. Um, and what is a big reason why this deck is so popular is it's, it is a good matchup against Winota. It's very, very good against these Mardu Greasefang decks, which are uh, using like a Greasefang to cheat out Parhelion 2 and just kind of, it's it's basically a reanimator deck essentially. And because Karn shuts down artifacts, he prevents the activation of Parhelion and he can also two up a Tormod's Crypt to remove the graveyard. So even if you remove Karn, um, he's, still dis he's still effective form of disruption. So it's very much a response to like not only being a good deck but also being very good against some of the other top meta decks like obviously um when you when you see a card like cavalier of thorns what's well, a big giant reach creature and so people are playing phoenix and a uh, ledger shredder pretty tough to beat past a five six reach honestly like it, it's it's not easy and what's funny is that like while uh cavalier of thorns is seeing a meteoric rise karn is actually secretly losing value 
But like, I don't see that sticking just because Karn is played as max number of copies in every format where he's legal in. So in Pioneer, he's played as a four of, in Legacy, he's played as a four of, in Modern, he's played as a four of, in Vintage, he's played as a one of. Even in EDH, like I know you can't tutor for stuff, but he's still a one-sided uh, null rod, right? Doesn't affect you, affects your opponents. Just a fantastic card in every format. And if you're ever worried about reprints, because eventually he'll get reprinted, you can always buy the secret layer version, which, I mean, if it's not your bag or whatever the art, it's like, I, I don't really care either way. I just know that this is a card that will always be competitive in every format he's legal in, and there's not much supply of the secret layer version, so if you just snag those, like, again, you'll run to reprint eventually, but they won't fall nearly as hard, so... Um, and again, you I, we were talking about earlier, the threat of a reprint is not actually that high, but even if you were thinking, like, well, it's actually been a couple of years since War of the Spark, we're getting to that three, four-year mark now at this point, it could be any day now... The secret layer is kind of a good like halfway between where it's like you're you lowers your risk i guess while still getting in on the spec as it's falling and then i guess the only other thing i was going to say is that uh really just a recap i, I already mentioned this earlier so i won't uh, badger the point but i sorry can... sorry hold on hold on before you go on before you go on uh i apologize i didn't realize i still had mute on and i was talking to my microphone there for uh, a hot sec um you were uh, you were mentioning uh, Karn, right? Yeah. The thing, the thing about Karn that I wanted to pull out and just just mention because I know I pulled this to your attention beforehand uh, is that there's a spreadsheet that I I've given to uh, Pride for for spec callout, and that is specifically to check out the anomalous purchase number, and uh, I'll send this to you as well if you, if you've lost track, but. Uh, Anomalous purchasing percentage on Karn is zero, which basically means, for translation to regular viewers, that uh, only players are buying Karn right now. Karn the Great Creator. Speculators are not speculating on Karn the Great Creator. You, you, people complain about speculators on cards and, and that there shouldn't be, but this is what moves cards. They have to move together, and this is something we discussed before the cast. And uh, right now, Karn the Great Creator is literally a card that is just being driven by players. Nobody is speculating on this card. I can tell you right now, over the past month, nobody is speculating on Karn the Great Creator. It just is what it is, for whatever reason. Sure, it's played in all these decks. It doesn't matter. Nobody is actually speculating on this card. For Either they're scared of it being reprinted, or that it's been printed too many times, or that it's been... Whatever the reason is, nobody is actually speculating on this card. There is actually zero interest from speculators. So if you're a player, this is the best kind of deck you can get into if you if you hate the dirty finance element because they're not there. And I'm not investing in that card. It's just not one that interests me, but uh, just something to to take into consideration when you're when you're looking at it and you see that price decrease it's it's solely because speculators are just not in just not interested in this card for whatever reason all right i had to i had to road rail that yeah, no for sure and i guess all i was going to say uh to that is like obviously when when you saying like anomalous purchases all you're really saying is that like people are buying a large number of copies right like something swooping in buying like 30 50 copies right so it's clearly these aren't like say organic player demand that's just someone who's coming in like i think this card will pop off and just grab a big bag of it and that will mislead the data because obviously it looks like this is a card that's selling a lot better than it actually is and so when you're saying there's no anomalous purchases what you're saying is that exactly what you said i'm not going to belabor the point but this is all just organic demand at this point and so if there's a lot of organic demand for a very popular card that is kind of you want to find those holes where no one is swooping up and grabbing these because there there will be an opportunity there to make money um, and other people aren't exploiting it so that's kind of the perfect reason to spec on a card essentially and yeah it's worth highlighting i guess that facet of it yeah i well and then the main reason to to highlight it too is because i know I, I mentioned to you before cast as well that just when i look at a card you know just for the broader audience uh i want there to be 20 percent speculation activity i want there to be basically one out of five buyers saying hey i'm gonna buy 16 copies of a card or i'm gonna buy 12 copies of a card that everybody else just needs one of or two of or three of 
because speculators have wallets, whether you like it or not, and they do affect the card price. And so when you see that level of activity, when you see, you know, excessively high, which, uh, Pride, you called one out right away. I forget what it was, but it was like, oh, we were wondering. And it was like, oh, yeah, that has 73% speculator activity. Ignore it immediately. Um, but this one is literally the direct inverse. Um, and what Magic magic community, I think, just really needs to, to become okay with is that there, it's a coordinated effort between both speculators and players to actually, you know, move the prices of cars and um I don't know. They seem to hate each other, but it's it's just funny to me that they both need to work together to actually move the price of a card, but they both hate each other for moving the price of a card when really it takes both of them. Again, it's always like, especially in the world of social media that we live in, there's going to be a vocal minority who sounds a lot louder than they actually are. The silent masses, again, speak with their wallet and don't really care one way or another. And that's mm -hmm. really the best way, you know, again, most of the specs we cover are specs that we're not saying, hey, there's a low number of copies of this old foil and the ramp up is steep and blah, 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 trying to generate sort of like artificial, uh, like scarcity or FOMO for a card. Like there's just no point. Well, there's so many cards that people are organically buying that even other speculators, again, it's healthy to have a bit of other speculator money going in because it's just going to further your spec. And so when there's plenty of these like natural organic opportunities to seize, there's really no sense in going anything like risky or short lived or that will probably not pan out because there's just, again, it sounds silly to say it's like, well, of course, everyone knows Jessica's will is a good card or of course. Everyone knows that pathways are great investments and it's like, yeah, but people are still ignoring them and there's still money to be made because a lot of people assume all the, you know, the blood has been squeezed from the stone, but it's like, no, there's plenty more to go. And that's really what we like to highlight with using our tools and databases and uh, spreadsheets and whatnot. Because again, when you're looking at the data, it's like, no, the money's still there. Keep going because yeah, uh, <laughs> there's, there's no sense in jumping in on something Kind of uh, without, say, like a real merit behind it, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, we finish up for the evening? Oh, no, I think I covered everything I wanted to say previously. So, yeah, I'm good to end it there. That sounds good. I know I could probably talk for several hours, so I'll, I'll agree to end it with you there. And uh, I think this will conclude our uh, this episode four. Of, of the Feast or Famine podcast and we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Hi everyone, thanks for coming.